This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 432. And the quote of the day is, trust the process. Your time is coming. Just do the work and the results will handle themselves. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Nick Ruffini here. Thanks for tuning in to episode 432 of the podcast. Listen, do me a favor. If you dig this podcast, if you like it, if you get value from it, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. That helps it show up higher in the search results. Also, if you want to go one step further, you can donate monthly by going through Patreon. Patreon is a way for you to donate a dollar, dollars $2, $3, $5, $10, $20, however much you would like to contribute to Drummer's Resource every month. And you can check that out just by going to drummersresource.com forward slash support. And you can go on there. Pick which which tier you want to choose from. You get benefits for choosing different tiers. And then from there, uh, you get charged every month. And then you can cancel at any time. It's super easy. So again, that's drummersresource.com forward slash support. That's help that helps pays the pay the bills, excuse me, and keep the lights on and keep the good content coming. So head over to drummersresource.com forward slash support. We would appreciate it for sure. And I want to get right into this conversation. This is with John Epcar, and John is originally from Los Angeles. He lives in New York now, and he's been doing the Broadway thing for a while. He was the, in the original band for the Spider-Man musical, and now is doing Mean Girls, but he's also worked with Bono and Justin Timberlake and all sorts of different different people, Natasha Benningfield, uh, a long list of, of other artists that he has worked with, and just an amazing player and has a really cool story of how he sort of fell into into the Broadway scene. And a lot of people ask me about the Broadway scene, which I, I honestly don't know much about. So it was great to have John on here to talk a little bit more about Broadway, about getting your foot in the door, about how some of that stuff works and ways that you can maybe get into the industry, into the Broadway industry, I should say, in some ways that maybe you haven't thought about or or some unique ways of doing that. So definitely a great conversation, and we're going to get into it right now with my man, John Epcar. Enjoy. John, what's happening, my man? Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Dude, thanks so much for, uh, for having me on. Yeah, of course. We were just talking off uh, off air that we've essentially switched coasts. So you're originally from the West coast. I'm originally from the East coast. And now we have switched. You're on the East coast. I'm on the West coast. And I got to ask, I don't, I I don't want to say I don't know a lot of people, but there's not a ton of people who can say that they were born and raised in Los Angeles. Sure. It's like, every time you meet someone, it's like, Oh, where are you? Oh, I live in LA. Oh, okay. Where are you originally from? Right. And I guess I kind of did the, uh, the opposite coastal, switch from what folks normally do right <laughs> right new york to la yeah nobody's uh, crazy enough to go are, to the snow <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> my uh my folks are both uh actors and voiceover actors so they uh they moved to la i think my mom was kind of raised in la but is actually from new york originally and my pops is from denver but moved to la after college and they met in la so i guess i'm First generation Los Angeles resident. Right. I remember years ago when the when the Dodgers were in the playoffs, and even during the playoff games, the games weren't sold out, which I thought was amazing because it's like there's so many there's so many transplants that you know it's not it's not uh, there's not a not that a lot of people aren't from LA. That's not what I'm saying, but there's not it just seems like there's not a lot of people who were born and raised there. And from the outside, so I'm I'm interested to know what it's like growing up there because from the outside, you know, when you're when you're a teenager and you're thinking about going to LA, like you just think that they're just giving out television shows and tours to everyone who steps off the plane. But growing up in LA, what was what was the vibe growing up there? Was it just Obviously, it was home, but it did it feel like to me? L.A. is like a magical city. Does does it feel that way for you, having grown up there? L.A. to me was it's it's such a sprawling, interesting, crazy place, and there's so many different parts of the city. But I grew up in the valley, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, 
there's there was a stigma about the valley growing up. It's like, uh, the valley's so far and it's not proper LA and now, you know, just the same as like I guess like Williamsburg or Brooklyn now, now it's becoming more of a hip place to be. Right. Just also like uh, downtown LA is also kind of blowing up right now, it seems. It is. It is. I had dinner there uh, a couple, maybe about three or four weeks ago. And I was like, man, I mean, years ago, like you didn't, you just didn't go to downtown LA. There was no need to, right. no need to go there. And, uh, and I was like, man, it's actually, it's actually pretty cool down here now. They're, they're definitely doing, doing a lot of work and, and yeah, there's a lot and, going on and there's a lot of like new little jazz clubs it seems going on mm-hmm. it's it's been a minute since i've been there but just seeing you know my friends back home who are doing things out there now it's always like where's that club i've never even heard of that before right right well and, um, and i could be wrong about this because i didn't i didn't grow up there and i didn't spend a lot of time there until well into my professional career but where I grew up, like Philadelphia area, even New York and all that stuff, there there's a ton of clubs that you can play in for working musicians. And I I feel like there's not a lot of that in LA. Do you do you agree with that or do you do you disagree with that? The uh the feeling I have at least currently about LA is LA is a great hub for tours. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great place to be if you want to be on a project that, you know, travels and tours and like you know does a lot of cool things or you know it seems like there's more infrastructure in certain other places to me like new york where you can you have more of an opportunity to play in town whereas sometimes it kind of feels like la if you know you're playing in town to to pass the time until the next tour you're like you doing jam sessions to meet other people again i haven't you know lived there for 10 years now so Right. I might be totally off base with this assumption, mm-hmm. uh, but that's sort of what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. I've always, you know, I've always felt that way too. Like it doesn't seem like a, there's a lot of staying home and having and sustaining a career by staying home. But you, I feel like you can do that right. in New York or Philly or you know or or other places. Yeah, around there's the country. there's different there's things that exist in New York, anyways, like Broadway stuff that don't exist in L.A. as much. You know, there's I guess there's like TV opportunities for the handful of folks that, you know, work in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's almost like, like what you were saying about the Dodgers, you know, there's less, uh, there's less people sticking. Right. Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And that's, I mean, that's, that's always the vibe that, that I got where it's like, if you want to, you know, you want to play jazz, you want to play in clubs, you want to do all that kind of stuff. You go to New York, you want to do tours, work in the industry, all that television, all that stuff. You go to Hollywood. Like that's right. That's just it. So what about you growing up? How did you, how did you get the bug to play? Were your parents musicians as well as, as actors or were they, were they strictly, uh, strictly actors and you just kind of got the bug in a a different way? My, uh, my pops was and is a, a drummer. Um, I think he, he sold his drums to move to LA to kind of get enough, you know, money together to, to get out there. But, uh, but once I was kind of growing up, I started expressing some interest in drumming and just kind of music in general. Um, he ended up buying a, a kit off a friend of his for me, which was like, now looking back at it, it's an incredible kit. It was like a 70s sonar kit with like a rogers dinosonic snare and all the oh. like the symbols were all 70s a's uh, you still have it was it? like 300 bucks because it was like totally beat up and bloody and it was like a <laughs> it was like a friend's sister's punk band's drum kit nice and and it sounds like it had uh been th- it was it had been through the ringer a little bit right so uh pops helped me he cleaned it up and you know that was you the first have kit, the kit and then you? he was I do. I have oh, you do? every piece of that kit. And nice. I still use it. It's awesome. It's an awesome kit. Nice. <laughs> I'm think I'm I'm just thinking of like, you know, getting this kit and then you're like, Oh my god, this is the most the most amazing kit and then looking back on it, you're like, Man, this thing's kinda beat to shit, you know. But hey, <laughs> as long as it sounds good, what's you know, that's all that totally. really matters, right? Totally. I mean it's it's a it's a really interesting sound. Like that kick is Heavy, heavy as shit, but nothing sounds like it. I it sounds like an 808. It's crazy. It's like the m- most subby, low endy thing, but like 
It's also got this weird punchy thing. It's really cool. It's an huh. awesome drum set. Huh. Well, props to your uh, to your pops for getting. So does he? So he still plays drums then? Yeah. So he still plays. He's got a he's got a band back home. You know, I think for him at this point, you know, more just to playing just to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely for me where where I kind of got the interest to yeah, yeah yeah to get started anyways. So what was the vibe in your house? I mean, were your parents were your parents suggesting that you go into a different field, or were they supporting what you want to do? Because being because being in in the arts in, in whatever whatever arts you're in, it's a rough it's a rough road. I mean, totally. there's no there's no if ands or buts about it. And I know plenty of people who their parents were musicians or actors or something like that, and they say, look. The, don't don't go do this go be an accountant or go be a doctor or go be a lawyer it's going to be a lot easier and you're going to make a lot more money and you know and all that kind of stuff and then you get the other people that are like hey if you want to you know if you want to go down down that road we did it and if you want to do it too then then we support you i mean yeah totally they they were pretty supportive i think there's a little bit of an inkling uh like a hope that you know maybe i would get into like law or something you know <laughs> something a little more a little more stable i guess what well, it seems uh, like law and doctor are like it, they're like the only two <laughs> respectable professions if you do anything else they're like why didn't you be a lawyer or why didn't you I be know, a doctor i know growing up it's like that's it you're a lawyer a lawyer or a doctor or you're just one of these <laughs> you're a bum. careers that don't right. make any sense right right you're like i'm an astronaut and they're like are you a lawyer <laughs> no okay well then <laughs> get out of here <laughs> exactly Exactly. No, but they, they were they were pretty cool about it. Once once they saw I was like I was pretty serious about it, and I uh, I ended up going to Berkeley. And like once I kind of set my sights on that, they were like, "All right, I don't think this is going away anytime soon." And you know, they were they were very supportive. And even growing up, like my mom would like drive me to these like blues jam sessions on Ventura, you know, on mm-hmm. like weeknights and stuff and like you know it's above and beyond right what, what they did for sure nice nice i gotta ask what so you move from la and you go to berkeley how did you deal with the first winter there were you like holy Man, shit i had i had no idea i showed up with a hoodie <laughs> i really did i was i was like yeah this will be fine i don't get cold <laughs> and i got there and it's like no 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 you really just no idea. And it just like probably immediately like got like a super flu. The doctor was like, you have a combination of flus. And you're all kinds of sick. And it's just, yeah, it was. You're it like, was, is this, is like, it always like this? This can't yeah. be right. Is this some freak this weather? Snow in the city? Really? That's right. That's that happens. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty culture shocky. And also just, you know. Again, like LA is so spread out. Boston, a little more accessible through public transportation, you know, and it's a little closer together. So it's just, it's definitely more of like a city, city vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, LA is pretty unique in its, in its interpretation of city. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's so like a gigantic suburb out. that's a city. Yeah, it really is, except for Which downtown. Is- yeah, except for downtown, of course. <laughs> so when you were going to Berkeley or, or leading up to going to Berkeley, what was the thought process? Were you thinking, okay, I'm going to really do this as a career? Or were you just trying to get better as a drummer and then you would get out of college and you would sort of go in one direction or another? I I don't know if I really had enough foresight to be like, this is what I'm doing because this will lead to this. I, I had some buddies from high school because the high school I went to was a, a music academy in L.A. Mm-hmm. So there was like a lot of really, really incredible musicians there. And uh, some of them went to Berkeley from the high school. And I sort of didn't really have, I, like I didn't really apply anywhere else. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, didn't, I don't really know. What it, at that point, I feel like I was just kind of floating around a little bit mm-hmm. and didn't really have a super strong sense of direction. Which is normal at that age. Yeah, I think you know, I don't so. think anyone knows what they want to do. Well, some people do, but most of us, you know, mere mortals have no. I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing now. Totally, you know? totally. It's it's moment to moment. Right. So, I mean, do you do you think that have you pretty much gone through your life that way, or is there is there been? I'm I'm always interested in in 
understanding the path, right? Of okay, here's right. where I am. I want to get to this. I want to get to this point. Are you sort of like manifesting the things that you want? Is there a rigid way that you're sort of going after certain things, or are you just saying, "Look, I'm just going to go out there and and play as well as I can, and opportunities are going to present themselves, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna take I'm gonna take hold of those opportunities and and exploit them. Not in I a mean, bad way, I, but you know. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I I think kind of being prepared for the opportunity is sort of the thing that works best for me. Mm-hmm. I was never great at like, like I'm going to go to, you know, this club and I'm going to meet these people or I'm like, this is, you know, I had a vague sense of like maybe gigs I would want to do or like at, at least music that I liked playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as like the manifesting it myself, I feel like I was definitely more of a, wait for the call kind of guy. Right. And just making sure when I, when I did get the call that I did as, as good of a job as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. But how do you go uh, from being in, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old at Berkeley to working with Bono and Justin Timberlake and John Legend and Rihanna and all these other people? How does that, right. what does that path look like? What, what did it look like for you? Was it, was it one person who you met who was working with all these people or was it, I'm always interested in that. So basically, after Berkeley, I came back. I was doing some gigs here and there. Um, I ended up joining a band that was a a group of buddies of mine that I went to school with, um, this band called Carney. And uh, they had just gotten signed to Interscope, and they had uh, new management, and they were sort of changing things up within the band. Um, I got brought on to do the record. Uh, and then from the record, we ended up touring for a while, but because of the management and the label and also the people within the band who are all phenomenal musicians who had all worked in different areas before creating this band as well. Um, you know, that sort of led to a lot of, of, you know, cooler opportunities, you know, studio wise, like the, the Justin Timberlake stuff and the Rihanna stuff was, from working with Carney and that was uh, a member of Carney's management at the time was also the president of Justin Timberlake's label at the time. And he was producing mm-hmm. some stuff. So me and a few of the guys in the band got brought in to work on some of that stuff. Uh, same thing with Natasha Bedingfield. And uh, so, yeah, so that sort of led to some other stuff. And then the band itself got brought on to do the Spider-Man musical that was happening in New York. Um, so we were, uh, that's how the Broadway we were, thing happened. That's where the Broadway thing came in. And that's also where the Bono stuff came into play. Uh, our, our singer got hired to be Spider-Man in the show mm-hmm. by the director, uh, Julie Taymor and her and Bono and edge really liked, liked him. Uh, his name's Reeve Carney. He's like phenomenal, phenomenal songwriter and singer and also actor now as well. Um, but, uh, so he got brought on and then they sort of felt like, well, it'd be cool if we brought the band into the fold for this. Um, so we came out to New York with like, what, sort of what the did Bono and Edge have to do with the, the Spider-Man musical? They wrote the music for the show. Oh, okay. There's the missing link. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Sorry. I figured I would ask that, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. 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 No, totally. Um, yeah, and it actually ended up being the last show that Carney ever played together before we before we broke up was opening for U2, which was as a result of doing that show. That's awesome. You know, and those connections, which was like incredible. It was just like kind of an amazing way to to go out to close that yeah. chapter. It's going but, out uh, on top. Yeah. But we, we initially sort of came out here with the intention of like, we're going to do the show for, you know, six months or whatever. And then that will help the band sort of kind of get a little bit of a boost or a leg up. And then we can kind of build on that and continue touring and continue focusing on the band. And it's not exactly the way it happened. And in the (laughs) midst of it, you know, like the band ended up kind of falling apart and the, uh, the show became this big crazy thing and that kept going for a while. So when the show ended, it was like, okay, well, now the band's over. I can go back to L.A., but at the time, I had uh, just met my then-girlfriend 
soon to be wife. And, uh, so I was at the time, like I had more of a life going on in New York. Mm-hmm. So I ended up just staying in New York. And, uh, from there started getting calls to do more Broadway stuff. I started subbing. I subbed for, uh, for Carter over at Lion King mm-hmm. a lot. And, uh, and once you're in that ecosystem and you've, and you had a really amazing, uh, amazing show on your resume as it was, right. Then it makes well, it. I don't want to say it makes it easier, but at least it gives you it gives you a foot in the door, right? Oh, I completely fell ass backwards into like doing Broadway stuff, and because I get asked with, like, all the time, the like people people ask me all the time, like how do you get into? Broadway? I'm like, I have no idea. I've never played a Broadway <laughs> show in my life. So, and it's not easy. It's not easy no. to get into into these Broadway shows. Totally. It's definitely, it's a, it's a tight knit community of, of folks. And, uh, so, you know, again, it was, it was sort of a happy accident. Was there, were you interested in Broadway before the, the Spider-Man thing happened? Not even a little bit. Really? I was super not into like Broadway and musicals. It was like, I was actually the one guy in the band prior to coming out here. Those were like, guys, this is a bad idea. Musicals are lame. We should not, you know, go do Broadway stuff. Um, and, you know, it's just funny because 10 years later, here, here we are. Right. <laughs> uh, and I'm guessing you, know, you enjoy it a lot more now. I do. I do. And a big part of that is just how amazing the, uh, the teams are that kind of work on these shows. And, like, the bands, you know, for a lot of these shows are, like, incredible, incredible musicians. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, Spider-Man, we were so lucky to, like, we had no idea at the time, but, you know, we sort of got thrown in the mix with, like, some of the greatest musicians in town um, who are all doing lots of cool stuff now. Um, so I was I was really fortunate to, like, just kind of get thrown into the mix with these with these guys. And, you know, I got along well with them and with the 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 team that sort of did the music direction for the show. And so that sort of led to other other things as well. This may be a hard question to answer because, like you said, you fell ass backwards into into Broadway. But totally. for people who, I mean, you've been in it for a while now. What are you seeing in terms of how people are getting their foot in the door, or how can you? Because I know that if I want to get into Broadway, I got to sit with someone and learn the book, right? Right. But as soon as everyone get, as soon as someone gets a Broadway gig, they get eighty seven emails. And it's like, hey, man, can I sit behind you? Can I learn the book? And there's, right. you know, 15 people learning every show and right. because they want to sub. Um, so what what advice do you have or what do, do you see anything happening of how people are getting how people are getting gigs on Broadway for, for the people listening who actually want to get involved in it and are trying to get a position like you have? Sure. I mean, it seems like being present just on the scene in general, I think, yeah, you know, reaching out to folks and, and watching if you can is a good thing just to, you know, so you're introducing yourself to folks and kind of putting yourself on, on their radar. Um, and subbing definitely seems to be like the, the one way that I've seen to sort of get into the scene. But also, you know, a lot of, a lot of Broadway musicians, especially nowadays, are doing all kinds of other musical work besides just Broadway stuff, you know, and folks are playing around town and doing, uh, playing with like a bunch of artists. And so it, it, I don't think like just going through Broadway is the only way to get to Broadway, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can kind of like be around, you know, other music scenes as well that, you know, you never know where like that can lead if you're doing a gig at Rockwood or something, but right. And chances you know, are some of those people are playing in Broadway. Yeah, exactly. You know, because you combine a little bit of everything to, to make it work. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'd say a lot of the people I play with outside of my current show, it's like they some of them do Broadway as well, maybe in different capacities, in addition to like a bunch of other things that they do musically. So the new Sonar SQ1s, yeah, they're sick. 
They're made out of birch. And the reason why they made them out of birch is because birch has a balanced low, mid, and high range. So they sound great in the studio and they also sound great live. They also have a sound sustainer system. It's a new mounting hardware and it's rubber on metal. And what that does is it completely separates the mounting hardware from the wooden shell. So you're going to get an amazing tonal quality out of these drums. They actually got that from the automotive industry. That's where they learned about this technology. Not only that, I'm a car lover, so this is super cool to me. The colors and style of legendary car classics were the inspiration for the color selection of the SQ1. So there are four matte lacquer finishes that you can choose from. So not only do they sound good, they also look good too. Check them out by going to sonar.com. You know, you may sit at the back of the stage, but you know that the band revolves around you. Why? Because you set the tempo, the intensity, and most importantly, the tone. And the easiest way to set the tone is to play Evans Drumheads with Level 360 technology. Thanks to Level 360 technology, Evans Drumheads fit perfectly across the shell and allow for increased tension to help you find your sweet spot. Plus, they take you well beyond the normal tuning ranges for higher highs and lower lows. So now, the sound you want will always be the sound you get. For more info, check them out by going to EvansDrumheads.com. Now more with John Epcard. What are some of the things that you learned playing on Broadway? Or some of the some of the th- things that maybe you didn't know or that surprised you about Broadway? Man, following a conductor was was a big one. Yeah. Cuz I'm I'm, you know, especially coming in as like a rock band guy or you know, working with other folks, like you, you're just not used to as a drummer not being in charge of the train almost, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause tempos and things can change like on a dime, depending on what's happening on stage. And you really kind of got to stick with the conductor and it may not always be something that makes sense to you musically, but it's what needs to happen in order to, you know, the piece of scenery is coming across the stage and maybe that needs to set, you know, it's, it's all kinds of, other components besides just the music that that come into play. So, you know, definitely in in the beginning when I was working on Spider-Man, it was easy for me to be like, I don't understand why we're slowing down or speeding up right here. It's like the it feels good where it's at, but that's not the only thing to take into consideration there. Right. Right. And yeah, I mean if there's things happening on stage that the music needs to slow down or needs to speed up or something like that. So it's like, you're not just playing music. Your music, right. you're, you have music that is accompanying other people doing other things at the same time. Totally. And, you know, I'm talking about this, like I know what the hell I'm talking about, but no, I, no, I you're really 100% don't. <laughs> right. It's, it's one aspect of, uh, of the full picture. You know? Sure. Yeah. And how, I mean, how long does it take you before, or, or let me ask you this. Are you ever getting to a point where you're not following the conductor? where you're just sort of, you know where you're at the whole time. And, and I played in musicals and I've sort of like memorized, uh, you know, memorized my parts and, and didn't necessarily need a conductor, but that was in college. Sure. It wasn't on Broadway. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I, like, I mean, I could screw this it sort up of and... depends on the, on the show, mm-hmm. you know, cause some shows it's like you're entirely on the click. Some shows they move a lot more and they're not just, you know, tempo mapped. Um, honestly more, I feel like more important than the notes themselves is following the conductor. So I would say probably not as far as like, not, you know, being Mm -hmm. like, cool, I got this to me. It almost seems more important to like stick with whoever's, whoever's running the show there than to like play exactly what's on the page to me. That may not be everyone's interpretation of that, but, Mm -hmm. but as far as like the, chain of command to me that seems to be the most important thing Mm -hmm. the interesting thing is there's no way to really practice that there's no way to really practice working with a conductor right it's like on the job training totally it really is and it's it can be difficult because when you're learning a show to sub on it or whatever you usually get like a recording or a video or something of the conductor along with the show to practice to but it's it's easy to kind of like get used to the way that that one show went and, uh, and not anticipate like what can happen on any given night. Cause mm-hmm. it's, it's always going to be like a little bit different. Right. 
you know, the timing of, of stuff is always going to be a little bit different depending on what's happening on stage. Um, so it's like, it's, it's easy to anticipate certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can kind of get you into trouble sometimes. Yeah, of course. So let me ask you a little bit about, about creativity and, and expression and self-expression. Do you feel and I've had this conversation, my buddy James is the drummer for Conan O'Brien, and I've talked to him cool, about nice. this sort of in depth about, you know, because, you know, it's it's television, and, and I think that although Broadway is different than television, I think there's a lot of stuff that's the same. Um, how do you, totally. How do you feel about, about creativity and expression, self-expression, playing on Broadway? Do you feel that it's, that it's limited, or do you feel that you can be creative within the stuff that you're, that you're playing, or do you feel like you need other outlets, like, uh, uh, you know, other groups that you play in and things like that? Right, right, right. I mean, for, for me, I was feeling like in like into year two of doing Spider-Man, I was feeling real, uh, real stagnant, uh, creatively. And I was also kind of feeling like I've, I had lost my chops and, you know, practicing in New York can be so difficult in the first place, like, you know, having a space to even play something else mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, so I was kind of not feeling super fulfilled creatively at that point, as great as the, the job was. Um, so I, I kind of, I talked to a buddy of mine, uh, this great drummer in town, Aaron Comes. Oh yeah. Who, I love Aaron. Yeah. Big fan of Aaron. He's amazing. Uh, he pointed me in the direction of this teacher in town, Michael Carvin. Oh, my man. I love Michael. <laughs> have you, have you taken with Michael? I haven't studied with him, but I've had him, uh, I've had him on the podcast twice. Oh, you have? I oh, have. awesome. Had lunch. Uh, I, you know what? I had lunch with him right before I moved out of Hoboken and it was like, I might as well have just had a lesson with him <laughs> like that. And you know, it's like, it's Michael. So it's, he's, he's super, uh, I don't even, he's not intimidating. He's like, like every word that comes out of his mouth is, is, uh, is what's the word? I'm he's he's for. like Yoda. To me, yeah, he's like drum Yoda. Yeah, there's a point Everything to every single word that comes out. and carries yeah. such weight with it. And yeah, it's like that's awesome, yep. man. Yeah. In fact, I just did an episode talking about like some of the most impactful episodes of the podcast that I've ever had, and Michael's was you know was obviously at the top of that list. He is. Oh, so I'm anyone sure. listening, if you haven't listened to the Michael Carvin interviews, listen to the first one and then listen to the second one that we did. But the first one is just like. Yeah, it's Michael. You know, he's just he's profound and amazing. But go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, dude, I'm. I mean, the guy completely changed my whole mentality uh, towards approaching music and drumming. And, How so? Uh, he, I mean, just from the get go, he sort of zeroed in on exactly what I didn't want to work on, <laughs> and like you know those those the the chinks in the armor that like you sort of just hope nobody jabs you mm -hmm. where those holes are and he went straight for those and he picked up on it super quick so he was like great you know this this sucks and this sucks so in this room we're only going to work on those things that that you suck at and which at the time is like it's like ah man who you know right it's 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 intense and it can it's sort of you know it can be painful going through that but in the and end it, and it and it hurts your ego right it, is it totally like, can although at the same time i was going to him specifically saying like i'm not super excited about playing the drums right now and i feel like i have these holes that i want to work on um but even putting that out there it's like you i don't know if i was totally ready to like really just zero in on those things. Mm -hmm. But and and the reason why I was asking that that yeah, specific yeah. question because it's 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 really hard to take criticism and most of the time when we know the criticism is correct, it hurts us the most. And right. we go in and we're like no no no, we want that criticism, but deep down inside we're like we either, we take it personally or we're we're thinking man i should you know i've been playing drums for 20 years why like i i suck because i can, i don't do all this stuff right or i don't know right. all this stuff and it's like you know it can start to really 
and you have to be open, I think, to that and just be 100%. Like, yeah. Yeah, being open. That's totally the key to that whole experience cuz you know, for me, like if I just went like, no, that's I'm not willing to go there. You sort of have to surrender the control because you're saying, in this room, I'm trusting this person. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was interesting. I was listening to your uh, interview with JJ uh, Johnson, mm-hmm. who's I I love his drumming and he's an incredible drummer. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about sort of like getting input from 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 the elders and like being open to the experience and and I was like, man, that completely rang true for me you know, especially in my experience with Carvin. Um, so he, it sort of became this thing of like, if you, he, one of the things he would say is, is if you work on your weaknesses, you will have no weaknesses. Mm -hmm. He would like drop something like that. And then you just walk out of the room to let you just sit there and think about it (laughs) because he's ridiculous. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but so we spent a lot of time kind of working on, on aspects of my playing that that lacked foundation and uh and then from there we started talking about certain aspects of music outside of just like the playing you know he was he really wanted me to uh sort of have more of my own creative outlet um and was always kind of pushing me to like create a create a musical expression of my own whether that was like make make an album or a band or do clinics or something where I was sort of making decisions because again, like we talked earlier, I was so used to uh, waiting for the phone to ring and making the best out of the situation as opposed to like manifesting the situation. Mm-hmm. So as a result of kind of, you know, those lessons with Michael, I, I ended up uh, creating an album of my own and writing some music and releasing like this EP, which, you know, was very out of my comfort level at the time. Um, and I hadn't done anything like that before where, you know, I had to make the choices and it was entirely driven by what I was envisioning. Mm-hmm. Um, which as you know, having never done that before, like it's a learning process along the way. Um, but so point being, it was, that ended up becoming a very large part of like my artistic expression outside of uh, any kind of sideman work, Broadway or otherwise. Did you find when you when you took the reins and so you're putting out the CP, you're writing your own music? Was it sort of a situation where it was like, be careful what you ask for or wish for? So now because now it's like, okay, well you're in charge, tough guy, like go do it. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, oh yeah. shit! Everyone's uh, looking at you to make the decision. You're like, man, right. I don't fucking know. <laughs> right. I just hit stuff. What do you, like, yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's it put me in a situation where I, you know, whether I liked it or not, I had to have a conviction about what I was trying to accomplish. Right. And it also was there gave a process a, that? Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say it, it gave me a good sense of like empathy for the for the other side of it, like. You know, it's so easy sometimes as the drummer to kind of go in and be like, this this person doesn't know what they're talking about. You know, these songs suck. And, mm, you know. That's interesting. I didn't even think like, about that aspect of it. Yeah, man. It, it was it was pretty eye-opening huh. in that way to be like, oh, man, this is, this is hard. It's funny when you – the things that you learn when doing something that you don't even expect to learn or that you weren't even – you know, you, you weren't you weren't looking for a specific answer to something and you're like, oh, man, I didn't even think about this other thing that like you're saying the opposite. Side, like for you, you wanted artistic expression and, and creativity to come out of your playing. And at the same time, you learn this other lesson like, oh, it's a little bit harder being on the on the other side here, put you know, putting on the other shoe and and seeing what that feels like. And it gives you this sense of empathy. That's a, that's that's an amazing uh, discovery through that process. Totally. No, it really was just it was such a fulfilling process to to undertake in in so many ways, you know, artistically and otherwise, for sure. Was there a was there a process that you went through or was there a way that you sort of coped with that? I don't want to say coped with it, but dealt with that that 
sort of fear or getting out of that comfort zone? Because that's where real growth happens when you really step out of that comfort zone. How did you deal with that? Did you trust the process? Did, was it was it Michael sort of being in your ear saying, listen, this is going to be okay even if you fall on your face? What was it that, that got you through that to get you to that next level? Man, it was, I mean, it was probably a little bit of all of that. I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of think I put myself in a situation where I didn't have a lot of time to, to second guess some of the choices I was making. Like some of the tunes I wrote like a day or two before I was going in the studio, just cause it's like, I, I booked it around, I booked the studio time around the people that I wanted to work with on this. Mm -hmm. And it was usually a pretty small window. Um, like my, my buddy, uh, Zane played guitar on it, who I was in the band Carney with and mm -hmm. I did Spider-Man with. But at the time he was playing with John Mayer and was like out all over the place. And, uh, my good buddy, Justin Goldner played bass on it, but like he was traveling a lot at the time. So it was, I think there was like one day that those two guys overlapped as far as being in New York in the immediate future. Uh, and it was like, okay, cool. That's, that's the one day we got to go into the studio and, you know, it was like a week or two away from when I sort of started planning it. And it was like, cool. So now I got to write some songs. How do I, how do I do that? It, <laughs> I, once you put just, it on the calendar, it becomes real. It pre, like previous to that experience, like I had not like written songs on my right. own. I tell people all the time, you know, if you, if you don't have any gigs, then start a band and go start booking your gigs. And the problem is that can, you know, It'll take a year or two years or however long you let it take. But I, but so I always reverse it and just say, go book a gig. Totally. And then find the band. Yeah. I, for me, that's been the best process because it doesn't give you time to kind of like nitpick as mm -hmm. much. And I, I like the idea of, of, uh, at least for my own project, like being in the moment and spontaneous and trying to like deliver the best possible concept at that moment in time because it's it's a snapshot of of that moment and it's hopefully going to get better over time and it's something that you're going to you know it's an idea you're going to expound upon but at that moment it's, it's a snapshot of of where you're at at that moment so mm -hmm. you know i wanted my own thing to sort of be that where it's like it's okay if this is not a perfect product or if looking back at it, it's like, maybe I would have changed this thing or like, maybe I would have pushed this in this kind of direction. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with it being like an expression of that moment. Uh, and I feel like if I had sort of like waited till I had the material ready to go, I don't know if I would have, uh, stuck to it as hard, you know? Right. Right. And I think that if you would have spent two years making the record afterwards, you still would have listened to it and said, ah, I probably would have done this differently. I should have changed this. I would, you know, it's like, you're going to get, you're going to have that totally. either way. Yeah, totally. It's, you know, it's always a changing perspective. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for people that are, are scared to take that leap or scared to challenge that comfort zone or, or, or do something that they've never done before? What's sort of some imparting wisdom or some Michael Carvinisms that you have that, uh, that you can, that you can let people, uh, think about and give them a little bit of encouragement. I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's going to be okay. Whatever, you know, right. whatever it is, it's like, just, just put it out there and then you can go from, from that. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just do it. Like Nike says. There you go. You can fall on your face. It's not going to hurt, you know? Exactly, you'll be, exactly. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And you, chances are you're probably not going to fall on your face, so. Right. No, and, <laughs> and again, for, for me, I learned so much through the process, uh, just about my own process, you know, right. that I didn't know or, like, what the record came out to be that maybe I wasn't aware of what it was going to be. But mm -hmm. it wouldn't have started if I hadn't have just like booked the studio or like made the call or, or, you know, or asked for, for help or input from the guys that I was working with, because they were hugely, hugely helpful, especially since, you know, I didn't know what I was doing most of the time. You know, right. I was just trying to make the best decisions that I could 
So it was really helpful to have people that I trusted in the room with me to sort of like bounce the ideas off of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because ultimately it was going to be this product that I was, I was creating and it was going to, you know, I still had to make the call, but it was really, really helpful to have these people whose, whose opinions I trusted musically to be there. Yeah. And it, you know, felt more like a, a safe space for that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that, that feedback loop of, of so, sort of surrounding yourself with, with people who are encouraging and whose opinion you, you trust and you value, do you think that's an important step in that process? Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely do. Um, you know, it's having someone that feels like they're on board for, for whatever it's going to be, you know, can be really, really helpful. And also someone that's not super on board can be, you know, very detrimental, which again was, was a really good lesson for me to learn in my sideman sideman stuff. Um, like just not being negative about whatever the, that person's process was or is, or, you know, mm-hmm. trying to create that as a safe space for that person to express whatever it is that they're trying to express as well. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, man. You can be on the phone with someone or in the studio with someone or have a conversation with someone and depending on their vibe, you can go home and either think, man, I can take over the world or man, I'm never going to be able to accomplish anything. So why do I even try? Totally. Totally. You know? No, it, it can go very, very both those directions. So important, man. This around, I, I, I think anyway, just to surround yourself with the people who are encouraging and and will push you and challenge you and sort of call bullshit when when they see it and 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 not uh not just be i can't deal with negativity and and you know criticism and yeah, complaining 100 man no having those those people that i wanted to be a part of the project that were you know open to that experience mm-hmm. was 100 percent how the project came to be in the first place it's interesting that a lot of people i talk to ask me like you know a lot of people will email me or you know after an episode or something like that and they'll say okay the how do i get around these type of people how do i get around these positive people how do i get around better musicians how how do i get into different social circles or music circles that are either going to elevate my playing or they're going to you know uh elevate the the level of thinking or the positivity in my life and and all that kind of stuff I don't necessarily have an answer for that. I don't know. I just say hang around with the people who you enjoy hanging around with. Um, but expanding that network, it's, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? It's such a, it's a hard thing. I mean, I don't, I don't think there is an answer to that. Yeah. I don't know if there is like a, a clear path or answer, like how to, how to work, you know, to, to progress those things or to get around, you know, the people you want to work with, you know, again, for me, like some of the bigger changes in my career and in my life have sort of been like happy accidents mm-hmm. um, that I've been lucky enough to to fall into that I'm also I try to be as prepared as possible for when that does happen. You know, so I think being prepared uh, for for those moments musically and you know socially as well, because it's, the music is one part of the gig. And then, you know, if you're on tour with someone or you're doing a Broadway show and you got to like be around that person all the time, you know, everyone wants it to be a, a you know, a, a cool environment where it's not a, it's not a drag to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like you do the work, you kind of, you bring a good attitude that hopefully leads to more things. Mm-hmm. And we and we had talked about manifesting stuff earlier, and and you were saying right. you know you don't know if you necessarily manifest it, but I do think that whether you realize it or not, that you you manifest these good things in your life because you're positive, you work your ass off, you're not, you know what I mean, you're 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 willing to uh, to put yourself out there, challenge your comfort zone, all of those things. I think that all of that stuff brings these good things into your life, and if you just sit around and bitch and complain and don't want to work and you're entitled and you're a jerk and all this other stuff. I just don't think think good things are going to happen to you or anyone else. I totally, I, just, I don't, and I don't know what that is. And I don't know how to explain it. And I, you know, 
we can um, we're not going to go down that road of like right. figure talking about that but i think that it's like you you are or you know you become what you think about and and your situation becomes what how you see it right it's it's more of a i guess an indirect manifestation right right anyway we could get deep on that but we're gonna yeah. we're gonna pass <laughs> uh so john what's the best way if people want to follow you people want to keep up with what you got going on where is the best place to do that where can they find you online um i'm on i'm on all the all the socials i'm on the, the instagram and uh the interwebs you know it's johnny epcat and it's just it's basically just a bunch of pictures of drums and my baby at this point <laughs> that's it what's i mean what's more important than drums and family you know, th- to me, that's that's all the things. Right. Um, but yeah, so Instagram, I've got a website, um, which is uh, johnepcard.org, because... Uh, How did you end up with the org? I, uh, I created a .com, and uh, as, as you could probably tell from us trying to get the Skype call... <laughs> up and running i'm not like the most tech savvy dude in the it wasn't world. that it wasn't that bad i've had worse i've had worse <laughs> i've had a lot worse actually it was kind of it was it was okay but go ahead sorry i believe it um but so i i ended up was like i just kind of bailed on the dot com and just created another one and <laughs> You're I, like, I can't figure it out dot org for some reason and now that's what it is well the interesting thing that whatever username you gave me for your Skype, the one that you called me on is a different username. <laughs> right. Did, so you yeah, may have bailed on I, your old username. And I you were like, I'll just start did. a new account. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. See, you know, what you we do. made it you, work. You, when it doesn't work, you bail. Yeah. That's the lesson here, folks. <laughs> that's that's the big lesson. Yeah. If it's not Only working. On internet stuff, not on life yeah. stuff, but just, right. you know, website, Skype, just bail. Just bail. F it. Just move uh, on. Start yeah. a new one. What else? Uh, Twitter, Facebook. I don't know. All the things. Well, I'll do. I'll link up to everything in the show notes so that that people can connect okay, with cool. you. Connect with you that way. And uh, dude, thank you for for taking the time to chat, man. I'm really I'm really glad we got connected because you know you and I haven't haven't met, haven't haven't spoken before. So it was really great to to get to know you. And I appreciate you taking the time. And man, I'm I'll be I'll be you know praying for you when winter comes. So, <laughs> likewise, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It's of on. course, of course, my pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. All right, have a good one. That was John Epcart. You can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 432. If you want to get the goods, if you want to find the show notes, if you want to find out how you can follow along with the other stuff that he has going on, again, drummersresource.com forward slash session 432. Also, do me a favor. Do me a favor. I can't talk today for some reason which is not a good situation when you have a podcast. (laughs) Do me a favor, leave a rating or review for the podcast on iTunes. I would appreciate it. It helps other people learn about the podcast. It helps the podcast show up higher in the search results, and it makes everyone here at Drummer's Resource feel all warm and fuzzy. So we would appreciate it. Please do that. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be talking to you soon. Peace.